keep it on. That's how we're going to win and how we're going to stay above when it comes to our battles with the enemy. And of course, we know who the enemy is. It's Satan. It's, it's all the demons. It's, uh, it's the thousands of years of their presence in this earth. And certainly there is a battle. And now we saw last time that if you'll look back at verse 14, it gives us the first piece of that armor. And in it, Paul says, stand therefore, having your loins girded about you with truth. Hey, listen, everybody, um, that, that's the truth. And so when we see this scripture is, is what it's talking about is that we've got to be ready. Everybody say amen. And, and, and so to gird means, again, we, we, we pull those garments up and we're ready for battle, you see, and we've got the belt strapped on and we're ready to go to battle. What that means is that we are committed. We guard up our loins, meaning that we know the character of God, that we know God and his truthfulness and his power and his might, and that we are going to be committed to the battle. You see, these Roman soldiers, that's the first thing they did when they wanted to commit themselves to battle. They gird their loins up. They put a belt around it and tucked that thing in, and they were ready to do battle. And so as Christians, that's how we have to be, is we have to put on that belt, if you will, that imagery, and be ready for battle. So having your loins girded. Now, again, that's associated in the Hebrew thinking with the idea of readiness and being prepared. And so we know it says in 1 Peter 1.13, it says, gird up the loins of your mind. And so in other words, Get your mind ready for the things of God. And that's what Paul is saying. In other words, we're to be committed to the task. And so the very first thing we do is we understand that there is an enemy. Everybody say amen. We know we know there is a war, and we know that the enemy wants to devour us. And so we acknowledge that, and we commit ourselves in the truthfulness of what God is and who he is, and we commit ourselves to it. You've got to be committed first. Amen? All right, so as we look deeper into these verses about our armor, we understand that there is a, the second one that we put on. You'll look in verse 14. Look at it with me. And that says, um, talking about a Roman soldier will also have to put on a breastplate, and Paul calls this the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate. Now, we, we've all kind of have an imagery of that, don't we? You know, we've seen the movies Gladiator, and we We've seen pictures of Roman soldiers, but we've seen these breastplates. But you understand that no Roman soldier in his right mind would ever go into battle without his breastplate. It, it protected him from the blunt force objects. It protected him from those arrows that come in from around, it, 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 hand-to-hand combat. I mean, a soldier would never go into battle without that most important piece, and that's the breastplate. And so Paul looks at this Roman soldier going into battle, and he says not only is he committed and his loins is girded up, but he also has his vital area protected. Now, Roman soldiers had different kind of breastplates, um, but no matter what it was made of, it had the purpose of, of protecting these vital organs, okay? And so um, uh, sometimes they were made out of linen. It was a very tightly woven thick linen that sometimes they would drape over as a breastplate. Um, they would also, in those days, they would also take, um, take hooves off of animals and, and cut them, and they would layer the hooves on that linen, or sometimes they would use horns, but whatever, it was to protect their vital organs. You, you get it? 
Sometimes, of course, we know breastplates can be made out of chain. We've seen that before in different pictures in the, in the, in the, in the mid-centuries. Uh, also, of course, more commonly, we see it out of metal, out of metal. But they were all to protect, to protect the vital areas of one's body. And the breastplate covered two vital areas, and here's what they are. They're the heart and they're the bowel area. Now listen to me and don't tune out because you got to get this, and this is good stuff. And because God, God doesn't want us to get to be a victim, everybody, right? He wants us to be triumphant. And so he gives us all knowledge. He gives us all power. But here's the thing is, as Christians, guess what we, guess what we can do? We can lay it all down and not put our armor on, and we can become victims of the enemy. And it happens so, so often. And so what he's showing us here is that there's two vital areas in which Satan's going to attack you, and that's your heart and that's your bowel area. Now let's talk about that because there's an imagery here. There's a, symbol, there's a symbolic meaning here. So symbolically, the heart represents the mind. You know, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, for this is the Jews. They had this, this great significance, and, and symbolically, they taught, that that the um, that the heart represented the mind, and the bowels are associated with feelings and emotions. You know, the Bible talks about the bowels of compassion or shutting up the bowels of love, and so the heart then means the thinking process, and the bowels refer to the emotion. You get it? So the heart and the bowels; these were the areas that were protected, and that's the imagery that Paul gives us. And we understand that Satan wants to attack a believer in two primary areas, and one is in their thinking, and two is in their emotions. Can I have an amen? Is that true or not? Satan, if he knows he's going to get you, Cornerstone, he's going to get you here, and he's going to get you here, right? He's going to get you in your thinking, and he's going to get you in your emotions. That's what he's going to do. And one in the way he thinks and feels, another in the way he responds emotionally. And so the believer must be protected because this is where Satan, again, makes his, makes his attack. Now, he, he feeds your thinking process with false information. He feeds your emotion with false information. And he wants to cloud your mind with false doctrine, with lies, with religious untruths, anything he can. He wants to appeal to the wrong parts of your emotions. Listen. Uh, we started this thing off in talking about Satan being subtle, didn't we? And, and, and he's like a roaring lion, and he's crafty, and he's the father of lies, but it's the truth. And the, the, the very first time that Christians don't admit that it's real, they're going to fall victim to the enemy. So, so Paul is saying here, gird up your loins, be ready, be committed. And now he's saying, look, if you're going to stand and if you're going to have victory in battles, he says the second thing you have to do is put on this breastplate because this breastplate, and he gives us the imagery of the Roman soldier, it's going to protect the two greatest vital areas, and that's your heart, your mind, your thinking, and it's your bowels, it's your emotions, it's how you react. And so when we look at these, we see that Paul, of course, isn't talking about a um, 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 a for real breastplate that, you know, that he gives us when we get saved and we're to put it on. No, he's talking symbolically here, spiritually here. So he tells us that we have to put this on. Now, the sum of it is, is if you protect your thinking and your feeling uh, from the attacks of Satan, that then you're impregnable. He can't, he can't, he cannot, he cannot embark upon your lives and, and cause threat to you. 
He wants to corrupt your desires. He wants to draw your affections to the wrong things. And all this attack comes by Satan in these vital areas. And simply, does the Apostle Paul say it's protected, listen, by righteousness? These vital areas, he's saying, are protected by righteousness. Let me ask you this morning, do you have that righteousness? Is, is maybe the reason that maybe sometimes Satan gets in there and, and you lose battle and, 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 and you get knocked down, is it maybe because you don't have that breastplate of righteousness? So he's talking about righteousness protects us from Satan and from these attacks. And so what righteousness is he talking about? Let's look at that just real quick. What righteousness is he talking about? Well, there are only three possible possibilities. Let's look at all three of them, all right? Number one. Number one would be self-righteousness. Now, do y'all think that he's talking about self-righteousness? Whoa, we've got a dead crowd this morning. It must be too cold out there for you. All right, everybody smile. Do you think he's talking about self-righteousness? Absolutely not. You know, there are some people who think that they're going to be okay, that they're all right, just because they're good folks. You know, um, they're just better than the next guy. Um, you, you know, um, they're just religious. They, they've got it up here, but there's no really no 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 living with it in their lives. And so self-righteousness is exactly what the enemy wants. See, the enemy doesn't want anyone to bow before King Jesus, right? Because his goal is to draw people to hell with him. And so he does not want citizens of heaven. He wants to populate hell. And so Satan's ultimate goal is to destroy, to put into hell, and now that's what Satan will do. But then there are some people who say, well, my own righteousness will be sufficient to prevent that. Let me just draw your attention to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And here Jesus says, except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom. You see, they weren't good enough. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God and not of your works. So self-righteousness can never do it. You know, it can never do it. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So Paul's not talking about self-righteousness. So again, we have these vital areas where Satan's going to attack. And so he says to protect that with righteousness. So let's look at number two. Number two is imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. Now open your Bibles to uh, first to Romans 3.23. Did we get that up by any chance? So Romans 3.23. Now, so if we're going to stand, Cornerstone, and, and not be victims and, and not be cut down and not fall in, in, into the way uh, of Satan and to have victory in life for our church, you know, I, I believe that, you know, Cornerstones are on the threshold of God doing great things. I, I do. I, I, I greatly believe that. But, you know, if we're going to be, we've got to, we've got to put on this breastplate of righteousness. Hey, everybody listen. Um, in your personal walk, you know, sometimes you have more ups than down, or you have more downs than ups. 
Can anybody relate to that? You know, things come at you, you know, and you're, you fly off the handle, handle with your anger. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's just, just not being an earnest or an honest person, whatever it may be. And you, and you, and you, and you find yourself getting trampled on and you find yourself having defeat more than you have victory. Listen to me. Because you're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness. All right? So, we know it's not self-righteousness. So what is it? Well, let's look at imputed righteousness. Look with me at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Is that you? Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a, as a propitiation in his blood through faith, this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So you see, it's not, self, it's not self-righteousness. It's righteousness that God imputes into us. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, here's what that means is that to have righteousness, is, is to have imputed righteousness is simply this, is that when you reach out that hand of faith to God, and when he calls you to salvation, and when, and when you reach your hand out and you pray and you bend your heart to Jesus and you call upon him to be Lord, Savior, and Master, what happens is, is he imputes righteousness into your life. Now, what does that mean? Well, that simply means that when that, that means that when that after you accept Christ as Savior, that you are justified, you're made righteous in, in God's sight. What that means is that when God looks at you now, he doesn't see your past sin. He doesn't see the sins that you're committing right now. All he sees is this canopy around you, which is Christ's righteousness that's been applied to you. That's what that means. That's that imputed righteousness that God gives to every one of us who, who accepts him as Lord, Master, and Savior. That's the way it works. Everybody say amen. We, we have that imputed righteousness. We are made right. We didn't deserve it, but by God's mercies and by his grace, we now have righteousness imputed into us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't do anything for it. It was a gift, as Romans, as Romans says to us. Now open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, and let's look at what the Apostle Paul here says about this imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. So this is theology, but if you don't know this, how are you going to put it on? Okay? So Romans chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, excuse me, Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 4. And right now we'll just look through verse 9. He says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. What's he saying? He's saying, well, if anybody has more reason to fit confidence in their flesh, it's me more than anybody else. Why? Well, look what it says in verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day 
of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He just puts his pedigree out here that he's been circumcised the eighth day, that he was from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, as to the law, a Pharisee. Um, look at verse 6. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. He's talking about his old life when he was called Saul, you see? Look at verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, talking about those things, to him personally, not for his life with Christ, but for him as a Jew, for him as a person, talking about verses 5 and 6 and 7. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. For more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, or the King James says manure, so that I may gain Christ. It may be found in him, not have any righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. You see it there? That's imputed righteousness. In each and every single one of you, if you, if you don't have it, it means you're not saved. But if you're saved, you have that. You have that. So is imputed righteousness, is that what God is talking about here in Hebrews chapter um, 6, verse 14? No. Not talking about imputed righteousness. Look at the third one. And that's practical righteousness. Now everybody listen up. You've got to be taught here in what God is saying for us to have victory. So we know it's not self-righteousness, this breastplate of righteousness that we have to put on to stand against the darts, the hand-to-hand combat, whatever it is, for us to stand and, and not get beat um, in life. And when, we, when we're standing up, you know, for the sake of the gospel, you know, you know we put on this breastplate of righteousness to, to protect this and this, our thinking process, our emotions. That's where Satan attacks. So we know it's not self-righteousness. Everybody say amen. And then we just looked at imputed righteousness. And that's not what it is. But instead, number three, it's called practical righteousness. Now, I want you to get this, that you cannot have practical righteousness unless you first have imputed righteousness. So you have to have imputed righteousness before you can take on this practical righteousness. So Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 10. You're you're still there in Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 10. So Paul recognizes that he has imputed righteousness. That's what he says in the previous verses. And that the righteousness of God in Christ is his. But he doesn't stop there. He wants, God wants us to know because he's, then he says, and he says, that I may know him, Paul says. Now, that is a purpose clause. He says, in order that I may know him, know what? Look at it. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already attained, either were already perfect. Look, look the next three words. I follow after. You see, he knows he has this righteousness that Christ has given him, but he knows it does no good unless he strives to go after Christ. 
Everybody look, to go after holiness as Christ. It doesn't do enough just to have this thing just, just around you, this canopy. You have, to, you have to practically apply that which Christ has given you in your life. And what is that called? It's called separation or it's called holiness, you see? Look at verse 13. He says, I count not myself to have apprehended. What does he say next? He says, I press, what, towards the mark. What mark? Jesus Christ. You see, this is that practical righteousness. He has to pick it up and he has to live it. And ladies and gentlemen, if you want to beat Satan or if you want to stand when Satan comes at you, you've got to practice practical righteousness. God gives you righteousness. He, he protects that. And you, you yourself are safe. But for us to do battle each and every day, we've got to be holy people. We have to be, listen, righteous people. We have to practice righteousness. I believe that's a lost commodity. It's a lost commodity. And so many people lose. And many people will come into churches and they'll call upon Jesus. But if they do not ever start practicing practical holiness and living for Christ and pressing towards the mark, they're just going to fail. They're going to be trampled over. And that's the truth. In our thoughts, in our emotions, you know, the kids are screaming. You know what I'm saying? And I can't take no more. <laughs> is self-righteousness going to get you through that moment? No. Is the imputed righteousness going to get you through that moment? No, it's practical. You see what I'm saying? And so, so God is saying, look, when you get up in the morning, he says, you know, you, you, you put this on once and for all, and so that when these fiery darts come, when these arrows come and Satan's attacking you, 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 you practice holiness because, because Satan can't penetrate that. Yeah? No, life happens. It's a sad world out there. It's a hard world. It's a depraved world. And the Bible says that the prince of this world is Satan himself. So how do we stand? How do we protect this and this? How do we, how do we protect our thinking, our, our, our minds? How do we protect our, our emotions? In other words, how we react by practicing holiness. Are you going to win every time? Let me repeat that again. Are you going to win every time? No, but when you don't, when you, don't, when, you, when, you, when, you when you fail, you just ask God for forgiveness, and you, you get up, and you, and, you, and you dust it off, and you keep on going again. Everybody say amen. Golly, you know, not even Paul. Even Paul says, you know, <laughs> he couldn't do it, you know? So he's saying that I have the imputed righteousness of Christ, but I still press. I still follow after. He says, I still learn. I still move ahead. I still hunger after something. Let me ask you, do you have that hunger? See, if you don't have that hunger, you're not wearing your breastplate of righteousness. Imputed righteousness is what makes practical righteousness possible or not. Listen, again, when you were saved, you were given the righteousness from Christ. But now you're following after Christ. This is that practical righteousness. Our practical righteousness is to match our positional righteousness, never forgetting where the righteousness originates. And that's from God himself. Because if you don't let it go back there, then it goes back to self-righteousness, which never works. So holy living is the breastplate. And again, I believe that somewhere along the line, uh, this is a forgotten commodity amongst uh, God's people. Well, so lastly, um, 
what do you lose? What do you lose when you don't hit on the breastplate of righteousness? Let's look at several things that we that we lose. If you don't live a holy life, you lose something. You say, well, what do we lose? Well, I think number one, you lose your joy. You know, I don't see how you can have joy if you keep getting trotted all over by the enemy himself. Does that make sense? You know, you cuss out your kids. You lose your joy. You know, you get whatever, you know, the case may be, and you give in to the temptation of Satan, and it might feel fun for five or ten minutes. It might fulfill something here that Satan has and the enemy has brought into your life, and it may feel good for about five or ten minutes or maybe even for a couple hours. But after that, I'm telling you what, the joy is gone. The joy is gone. You lose your joy. You don't live a righteous life. God withholds from you his blessings. The Bible says in, in John, it says, these things are written. And I don't have it up on the screen for you. It says, these things are written that your joy may be, that your joy may be made full. Let me look at that again. The idea is, is that these things are written so that in obeying them, your joy will be what? Oh, God has, God has written this thing so that your joy may be made full. God has written this for you so that you will obey this and so that you will be practicing holiness and so that you will be wearing the breastplate of righteousness so that you will have joy in your life. And I tell you, the reason Christians are sad so often and the reason they have so much sorrow in their lives is because they lack personal holiness, practical righteousness. They never stand, they never put on their superpower, the breastplate of righteousness. And I'll guarantee you right now that if you're not living a holy life, you'll have problems because God will withhold his blessings. David knew that, didn't he? Remember? Remember King David? Uh, he had his sin with Bathsheba, and David was in all that sin, and he said to the Lord in Psalms 51, he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He, he didn't say restore to me salvation. He knew he had salvation, but he said restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You see, if, if, if there is sin, if there is unrepented sin, then there's not going to be joy, and the only way there's going to be is when you ask for forgiveness and you live a holy life. And so that's why we're to put on that breastplate of righteousness, that holy living, if you will. So that first thing you lose is you lose is you lose joy. The second thing that's going to happen that you'll lose is your fruitfulness. Your fruitfulness. You know, you're going to become non-productive. You're going to shrivel up, and you're going to and you're just going to be nothing, just like a, a branch on a vine. Nothing. No. No. Nothing to show for. If you don't put on this. Breastplate of righteousness. And the, and the third thing that you're going to lose is, is your reward. You know, Second John chapter 1, verse 8 says, Watch yourselves that you do not lose um, what you have accomplished, but that you may receive your, what, full reward. You know, some of us are going to diminish the capacity for the service of God throughout eternity in heaven. 
I don't want that. And I want, when I get to heaven, I want to have it all. I mean, you know, because God offers it all of us to us. But look, but but if if we don't wear that 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 breastplate of righteousness, um, we have a chance of forfeiting not our salvation but our rewards. All right, and also rewards right here on heaven until we get to heaven. And the fourth thing is is that you'll bring re- reproach on God's glory. Now, let me ask you something, Christian. How would you want to do that? Why, why, why would we want to do that? No joy, very few blessings, very few rewards. We're ungrateful to God. Why do we want to do that? You see how foolish that is? God, as it were, stands on the end of heaven, the edge of heaven. His hands are filled with blessings. And those blessings include joy and fruitfulness and ultimate rewards and glory for himself. And you turn your back and you chase your own sinfulness. Listen, people, we have never, ever begun to see what God could do with your family, with this church, in this place, if we begin to really get our lives in harmony with the righteous principles of God's word. If every single one of God's people would just put on that breastplate of righteousness and practice holiness, there's no telling what you can accomplish for the glory of God. There's no telling what you could accomplish in this church and ministry for the glory of God. There's, there's no telling of where your family might end up if you'll just make it and do it on purpose and once and for all to put on the armor of righteousness. The, breastplate of righteousness. Put on the whole armor. Live that practical righteousness, that holiness. Get your armor on. Let us all say that we'll go down breathing our last breath saying, Lord, I want to to give it all I have in this last battle. Get your armor on. I want to just give you just one more quick little thing here and then we're going to be done. And then we're going to close up here. But I, I want you to have just, just this just, just, just real quick. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says this. It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you. Now, he's on his knees begging. Do you see it in this text? He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. And so Peter's saying, this is a war, and unless you get yourself committed to righteousness, and by that, uh, we don't mean that you never sin, which means that you put on this breastplate of righteousness, that you start practicing holiness. If there's a decreasing frequency of it, and when you do, you confess it, you repent of it, and you turn it from it, he says that you deal with it before God, you are honest enough to evaluate your life. Look, he's saying, I beseech you, abstain from fleshly lust, for they are warring against your soul. And when you fall to them, you lose. And there goes joy, and there goes fruitfulness, and there goes reward, and there goes ultimately God's honor in the face of this world. And so we should present our bodies, the Bible says, a living sacrifice unto God. And be under him, be under him. And so we should, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, set our affections on things above and not on things on this earth. 
you know, um, we've got to have our breastplates on. You know, I, I remember, you know, uh, our kids being young. We've got four of those nasty things, by the way. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're all grown up now. But I, I remember, um, you know, going to a restaurant or something, and, uh, and you know, they would give these paper bibs out. You know what I'm talking about? Um, so we'd get to the restaurant, we'd put these little paper bibs on there, and, you know, of course, they would try to feed themselves, and they'd go over everywhere. And then when you pulled, the, pulled that paper bib off, just their clothes were still, you know, the paper bed was just, it didn't, it didn't do any good. You know, it got into their clothes. Um, what I'm saying is, is that um, self-righteousness isn't going to get you there. It's practical righteousness. It's holiness. And that's what's going to make you stand against the enemy when he comes at you. Not anything else. Everybody, amen. I'll stand, and uh, I'm going to do this a little different this morning. You know, I my my prayer as your pastor for you, and I'm going to be praying this prayer for you every every day, many times a day this week. I'm going to pray that you'll be full of joy. I'm going to pray that our church will be full of joy. I'm going to pray that that, um, that your life is going to be full of fruitfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that our church, fruitfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for your rewards <laughs> for here and for heaven, for our church as well. I'm going to pray that God will be lifted up in your life by you putting on this breastplate of righteousness. Your loins are girded. You're committed to the battle. Now you put on the breastplate of righteousness. You're already saved way long before, but you're putting it on once and for all. Your loins are girded. You're, you're ready. You're committed. You're, you're, you're committed because you know God's power and he has something. For, you're committed. And now you have this breastplate of righteousness, and no matter the cost, and it may mean that you have to just think through it every second of every day, but you're going to practice holy living, because that's the only way that Satan can't get into here and can't get into here. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. That's the only way. I'll be praying for you this week, many times a day for this, because the resources is there, because the righteousness of Christ is there. We just got to practice holiness. It's all there. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for um, righteousness, that we've been justified. Lord, that we've been set apart, that we have this canopy over us, and that, Lord, that no matter what we do, no matter what we did, it's not about us. It's not about self-righteousness.